0: Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's good to be back and to see all of you. I feel like it's been a a long summer of many times away. This last uh, preceding week, a week ago, I was at summer camp with our kids down at the Metropolis Summer Camp at St. Nicholas Ranch, which is outside of Fresno, down in California. And it was wonderful to be around all of the kids, to worship with them, to hear confessions, to teach them about the faith. We also had the blessing of going up to the monastery nearby there, Life-Giving Spring Monastery, where there's a very holy Yerondesa Yerondesa Markella there. So it was a great blessing. And to sing the paraclysis with the kids on uh, one of the evenings, and now we're singing the paraclysis here in the parish. At every meal that we had with the kids, we would bless the meal beforehand, and we would say a prayer at the end of the meal, a very illogical prayer. The prayer went like this. "But Christ our God, bless these remnants, multiply them throughout the world to those in need, for you are holy always, now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. This is a common prayer for the end of a meal. I say it's illogical because, of course, our rational mind would go, now what is God going to do with these leftovers here? They're all going to go in the trash. That's what we would be thinking. And yet we say this prayer. This prayer is illogical to our rational mind, but it is actually true. Because God is a great multiplier. It reminds me of the the gospel passage of the the woman who comes to get the crumbs at the table of the Lord and how he takes these crumbs and multiplies them through her faith. In fact, the gospel reading today is at a particular location along the Sea of Galilee and there's a church now there, the church is called the Church of the Multiplication. Sounds like a math church or something, (laughs) but it's called the Church of the Multiplication. Why? Five loaves, two fish, thousands of people, and 12 baskets left over. And this wasn't the only time that he did this in the Gospels. He did this multiple times. So he is a great multiplier. He takes what is so little and multiplies it through the world. And so that prayer at the end of a meal, that prayer is a statement of faith of who God is that God is the one who will multiply from nothing. You see, God is by nature generous. Even from the beginning, He created, as we say in our, our dogmatic truth of faith, He created ex nihilo, out of nothing. There was nothing, and He created everything. We take that for granted, but please understand, there's no other belief system or faith in the world that understands that? None. Everything is about building with the things that were there. God is someone who's kind of like a a molder of the things that are already there. But we say as Christians, he created out of nothing. There was nothing. It doesn't make rational sense. And this is why Christianity, one of the reasons why Christianity wasn't believed. A God that creates out of nothing, this was actually one of the big arguments in the early church. Yes, he creates out of nothing. He is the one that is the source of all things. And what did we learn in modern science? At least the, the theory of the Big Bang theory, right? Is totally irrational. All of creation came from the size of an atom. We as Christians might say it was a little smaller than an atom because it was nothing. <laughs> but the science is showing what is beyond logic, something we never could have figured out, that everything comes from nothing. And God has done this again and again. We see this in scriptures. All of the ways in which he is brimming with life. And even the creation he gives us brims with life. How you have one tree can produce hundreds or thousands of seeds. And then more trees come from that. We see in places where humans have left the place, all the plants are growing and everything is growing wildly. And in scripture we see this. We see this with the manna, with the water in the wilderness. We see this with uh, Jacob and the, the sheep. You remember the story of Laban? And the sheep kept multiplying and multiplying. And so many times, and of course in the New Testament, we see Christ at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, where he multiplied, he turned the water into wine. Again and again we have this witness of our Lord as a multiplier. Meanwhile, we humans, what are we? We're dividers. You heard that in the gospel, right? In the gospel, I mean in the epistle, forgive me, in the epistle. says, it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, but there, there is quarreling among you, my brethren. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul. And at the beginning of his epistle, he says what is needed there. I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great multiplier, that all of you agree and that there be no dissension among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. We humans, we're the ones that always want to cause division between things. Meanwhile, God, he continues to give and give and give. And we see this also in the grace of his saints, how these saints who lived in very specific places now become the source of grace and of miracles and of blessings for hundreds of years and all around the world. Thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds. How many people know St. Nicholas? How many people know St. Catherine and pray to these saints? And yet they lived in a specific time and a specific place. Of course, the greatest multiplication that occurs is at the holy altar, because our Lord, through his death and resurrection, who was one man in one place in one time, now is multiplied throughout the world, throughout time, so that all of us can be partakers in that one body that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God multiplies himself everywhere, giving us his blessings. Yesterday was the Feast of Transfiguration. And in that feast, we saw once again that our Lord is not a God of limitations, but he's limitless. Our Lord, as just a human man, goes up to the mountain and reveals that he's not just a human man. He's the God-man, and all of his divinity is revealed to the apostles such that they were afraid. And Peter's trying to build a little tabernacles for them. And the cloud descends and the voice booms. All of this to show God is not limited by anything. We commemorate the Feast of Transfiguration to remember that we too can be transfigured. That we too can become united to divinity. We too can become deified so that my will and God's will are one. This is what we see in Jesus Christ. His human will and his divine will are completely united, so much so that you can almost not tell there's a difference between them. We see this in the saints as well, most especially. In his mother, who said, May it be done according to your word. And in her example, we see how humanity and divinity can be brought together through our humbling of our will, so that our will can be in, in subjection to God's will. And what happens then? Multiplication. Again and again. God's grace comes into the person who has accepted God's will, comes into that person shines out from them and gives grace and joy and peace. We have too few holy people in this country of ours, but if you have experienced holy people, truly holy people, profoundly holy people, just being in their presence you feel the grace and the peace. They don't even need to say anything because God's grace is pouring out from them like this relentless torrent coming out from them to everyone who is around them. So God is multiplying through his saints because he wants to give us blessings, because he desires that we all become vessels of his grace. He desires that each of us become this big torrent of of God's grace so that we spread it out to those around us who need it so desperately. I want to share a very special blessing with you. Our parish has just received three relics. And these relics will be a great blessing for our parish for as long until kingdom come. The, the relics, a little backstory, first of all. And these weren't from the Holy Land, by the way. I mean, I didn't get them from the Holy Land. But when I was in the Holy Land, I went and visited St. Savas Monastery, which is um, out in the Judean desert. It's one of the oldest monasteries in the world. And at that monastery, we were walking around, and photographs were forbidden. Very clearly they said that. But the monk who was walking us around, he kind of warmed up to us and he said, oh, take a photo of that one. Actually, no. The, the first photo he pointed out as we were leaving the church, one of the churches, we were in the narthex, and he said, take a photo of that one, and he pointed up. it was the photograph, or the photograph, it was the icon of Lot fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what we need that image of Lot fleeing. So he warmed up to us some more, and he he let us take photos of some amazing icons that are over a thousand years old. And then we come into the church that St. Savas himself actually built. It's in a cave. And this church is dedicated to St. Nicholas. And we were walking around there, and I noticed this icon off to the side. And I said, can I take a picture of this? This icon was an icon of the martyrdom of the monks of St. Sava's Monastery. And I'll I'll print it out at some point, a large icon so that we can have it. But it's, it's a profound icon, just all of these monks and these Persians coming in. This was in the 7th century, slaughtering them all. These soldiers with all their weapons and these monks with nothing. And so this icon was very striking to me. Two weeks ago I received... Two of the relics that we received are of the Holy Fathers of St. Savas Monastery who were murdered. And one of them is a, a myrrh-streaming relic. So you'll smell that when you have the, the chance to venerate the relic. But the greatest of these is that we've received a piece of the true cross. Sorry. The hymns that we hear, <coughs> excuse me. The hymns that we hear during Vespers and Orthros every Sunday, every Saturday night and Sunday, they have new meaning when you have the cross in front of you. So I'll stop at this point, but there will be a chance for us all to venerate the relics, not today, but I'll let you know. So it's a great blessing for us. God bless you.